You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Brian McCubbin. Good day, everyone. How you doing? David Hall. Hello. And Tony Groves. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey, and Greg was going to be here, but he's uh, stranded on the side of a road in a big 18-wheel pick, uh, truck. Good luck to Greg. We're going to jump right into topics. Uh, Evan will be coming, I hope, to talk about the Coke race. But, uh, of course, topics are sponsored by Schoolyard Setups. If you're struggling to crawl into the top 10 and the road to pro, always in the back of the Xfinity, can't find that extra 10th to compete for wins in the NASCAR iRacing series, visit schoolyardsetups.com to get race-ready setups for the ABC this week. Please use referral code 207124 when you sign up so they know it's, uh, you heard from it, uh, iRacers Lounge about that. And I got to tell you what, we're using uh, schoolyard setups at Martinsville this week and uh, had a P4, and that thing is turning in the center. I mean, you get down to the middle and you hit the gas and that wheel's turning a little to the left, that thing just goes left. And, uh, and uh, Tom Dryling was running top split with some very heavy hitters, uh, Boyd Hogan and Garrett Maines, and was running top 10 with these guys within a tenth of what they were running at race pace. So uh, these setups are the real deal, guys. I'm not joking. Okay, Brian, let's talk uh, iRacing videos. Yeah, guys, uh, iRacing, they posted a video promo this week, and the uh, theme of the video is the cars are virtual, but the racing is real. And, uh, man, they had highlights from all the major series, you know, the, from the uh, from the Coke series to the uh, Porsches, everything, and as well as some of the pro guys that uh, were racing earlier in this year through the pandemic stuff. And, and this is a great video, man. If, if you watch it and you're just not pumped up to go racing, which I'm not able to do right now, and you ain't got it in you. Because this this video is fantastic. All the um all the professional commentators that are doing great jobs, like Evans on there, and all all the guys from Dirt and NASCAR and IndyCar, it's just a fantastic video. It really gets you pumped up. And uh, I I advise sharing this video with anybody who who you know who might think about getting into iRacing. Because man, it's going to change the minds if they watch it. And it covers all the different genres of racing too. You know, from NASCAR to road racing to dirt and and rally and everything in, you know, that's involved that uh, that you know encompasses iRacing. So, a really cool video, like you said, and uh, really fun to watch. First time winner Ashton Crowder final time at turn four to his first win in the eNASCAR Peaking and the Monster Mile in 2020 is tamed by Nitron Garrelo going to look to the bottom it is not going to be enough and Ryan Luza is going to go back to back he steals the win at Thunder Valley. Welcome the voice of iRacing Evan Pasoko. and with that we'll uh Bring in Evan Pasoka. Hey, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks uh, for having me again after uh, yet another wild week of action. Now is, uh, we're finally down to the end of the year. Boy, it was uh, quite quite a race. Uh, 
you know, leading up to the race, we, of course, we had the hype video, uh, trying to outdo the week before I see by having William Byron, uh, in, invited in to narrate the video and then the very dramatic, you know, orchestra music behind it. Yeah. Not, I think that I was joking actually when, when we first saw it, uh, that they've moved on to bigger and better things, uh, for me and Steve and had, uh, had Willie B do it. And, and that's cool. And I know that we're doing some stuff today and tomorrow, um, for the brace on Monday, because we have to be editing stuff for obviously the race as it happens, but then also some uh, television specific things because uh, the race is going to get cut up into an hour program for NBCSN. So uh, constantly trying to trying to push the bar. So we'll be busy for the next few days coming up with something new as well. Okay, very good. Well, let's jump right into the race. Uh, boy, lap one was, it was kind of a different take. I, I, we didn't hear from you guys, but we had these really cool low camera speed shots as they went around for lap one. And I think you picked up commentary as they came to lap two. Yeah. We, especially now that, uh, you know, that camera shake is in there. I think that those stationary shots or the static shots are super cool. Um, and we do our, you know, full throttle segment or whatever, but we've been trying to mix in, you know, kind of those statics off of the restarts or, or on boards or something for at least the lap or so off of a restart. Um, unless, you know, something crazy happens and then we kind of have to jump in, but uh, trying to give, you know, people some uh, more of that kind of natural sound is, is something we've been really working on. Okay, uh, lap four, it was uh, Bob Bryant taking the spot from Bolin Graham up front. Lap eight, the pass for the lead. Keegan Leahy needed no help on the outside. He was up to P1 early and expected him to stay there most of the night. I mean, he was, he was strong. He had a lot to say before the race on social media about checkers or wreckers kind of thing. Uh, lap th uh, 13, Bol uh, Bolin, uh, Graham Bolin uh, takes the lead, though, from Keegan Leahy. Yeah, and at that point, we're kind of thinking back to Texas, right? You know, we're, we're back to, from from Texas, but thinking back to Kansas, drawing the similarities between the two, where that race started with some green flag runs, and it looked like that we had some of the playoff guys up there, a couple of spoilers in the mix, and you're right. I mean, Keegan probably uh, should have gotten a win, maybe, uh, at Texas, uh, if not, or at Kansas. I keep, I keep calling Kansas, Texas, because should have gotten a win uh, with a week prior at Kansas, um, but obviously uh, that race doesn't end well for him. And, and that's the whole reason why he's in this position, right? Is because uh, it doesn't work out for him uh, and, and he ends up, you know, down in the, in the standings and whatnot. So this was another week where we're looking at it and thinking, you know, Keegan has a good chance to win the race. I don't think that it was, you know, looking like that he was going to like outrank. Cause you mentioned Graham was right there. He was having a great run. There was a couple of other guys um, up there as well, but at least, Early, like he did the week before, Keegan was was looking good and he had the speed. And it turns out to be the the early yellow, not the craziness late, uh, but the early yellow that just put him on the back foot for the strategy. And he really couldn't bounce back from that. Yeah, and let's talk about that. A spin by Alex McCollum. Uh, he, it was a checkup by him. He was trying not to hit Michael Guess, uh, Grigula, and Michael Guess couldn't check up in time. So McCollum... Uh, does a 360, gets going again. It was pretty impressive. Uh, nobody really hit anything. But uh, like you mentioned, Bobby Zelensky did tell us after the race, uh, you know, the people that stayed out on this caution kind of got screwed with a bad strategy decision, trying to, you know, save tires for the end. Yeah, because they had four additional sets of tires, right? So a lot of guys were thinking, I want to save those late. 
in case we have restarts and whatnot. And, and honestly, I thought that the cars pitting were going to be the ones wrong. I thought that the correct call was to just stay out. Um, because I didn't think that, you know, the 13 or 14 laps, whatever it was, was going to be enough to get it done. But, you know, we, we saw shortly thereafter off of the restart on on fresh tires that it was, you know, right up through the field uh, for Bob Bryant as he came coming through. And that kind of put Mike Conti on the lead foot um, for those guys. And and at that point, you're thinking, OK, you know, the guys who didn't pit, they're they're kind of behind now, but but they'll get back up there. And honestly, they never really did. Right. Um, those guys who who started the race up front. Um, and then eventually kind of fell back due to the traffic, struggled to get back up there. The Keegans, the Bolins, I mean, you know, Graham got back up there late and, and wrecked, but it took him to the very end to, to get back into the conversation. Busa, Challer, I mean, those guys kind of fell off. It seems like just once they got back in traffic, half of them just never got back to the top five. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it was a lead change. Ryan Luza to the point on the restart after uh, Gra- uh, Graham Bolin. And then Keegan Leahy was just hemorrhaging positions, uh, falling clear outside of the top 10. So the points were taking a swing uh, all night long, one way or the other, it seemed like. Uh, but the fresh tires were gold. I mean, Bob Bryant and Mike Conti are in the top two spots on the fresh tires while all the old tires were falling back. Longer, uh, the longer green flag run goes, the better it was for the guys who took tires on that first yellow. But <clears throat> to get a yellow now, it's going to be a tough call. Uh, the top 11 had, uh, had pulled away, so yeah, they checked out, right? I mean, we were kind of talking how, and we didn't see it for the rest of the race where nobody was really able to pull away. That was the one time on the difference with tires where they had kind of checked out, and that's a case where you know, sometimes if you don't pit then you're hoping that the next yellow would benefit you. Honestly, I thought if a, you know, if a yellow were to come out, it would hurt the guys that had pitted, right? Because they were just set in sail. And as we discussed strategy-wise, the 13-lap difference wasn't going to make a difference in the pit stop number. And you, they would have still had tires for every, you know, the two or three trips, whatever it was, back down to the pit road if it had gone green. So turns out that that call to pit on the first one ended up being really good, regardless of, of yellows and whatnot. And you know, at that point, those guys in the back actually hoping for a yellow. Not that it hurts any group either way, but, you know, they wanted, obviously, those drivers up front to quit checking out on them. Yeah, exactly. So um, it was Bob Bryant, Mike Conti uh, running one-two up there. Uh, they'd broken away from the field by about three-tenths on lap 37. Uh, lap 47, the lineup was uh, Bryant, Conti, Guest, Clampett, Kerwin, Gorlinski, Bolton, Schallander, Davies, Overland, Schoenberg. Uh, notably, uh, tw- Ryan Luza 12th and Jimmy Mullis 15th. And uh, lap 51, new leader Michael Guest, uh, who was actually part of that last caution. He's now running P1. Casey Kerwin uh, up to P2. He was having a great run. Yeah, we saw like 10 different drivers, I think, lead laps in this race. And, and a handful of them were, you know, guys who started at the back and kind of stayed out on some of the later pit cycles. Uh, you know, like like Schoenberg got up there. There you could talk about Michael Gast. I mean, those were guys from 30th, you know, ish that on the starting grid. And, and they just kind of find themselves cycling through to the point. And now we're getting into the, the position with pit stops, you know, kind of cycling through and coming up and whatnot that it's kind of hard to track. Um, you know, who making their way through the field has got a good shot at this, right? Because everybody was kind of taking advantage of tires, which ended up being a bigger story um, than, I mean, we knew tires were going to be the factor, right? We had a fuel number and we thought that the tire number was going to be a little bit shorter to to kind of choke up on the pit cycle. Uh, but I think it showed us that tires were, were a lot more important than, than I think at least we were expecting. 
Yeah, and so green flag uh, pit stop start around 56 with Keegan Leahy and a few others. Uh, Kerwin takes a lead at that point. Uh, they finishing up around lap 67, so quite a, a, a range there of about 11 laps over the green flags uh, cycle. Then caution on two later on lap 69 as Ray Alfalo gets clipped, uh, uh, Tian uh, gets wrecked, and Luza is involved. And that's the big, uh, you know, turning point in this race. Um, I thought, you know, when that happens, that that Ray was going to be hurt a lot more than he was, but he was able to kind of hang out at the front, uh, you know, a little bit after that incident happened, but it, it was just it for Luza, right? And I, I don't quite remember if he had answered how it happened specifically when we talked with him, because, again, he kind of sneaks in and, and makes it to the end. Um, and and gets in, you know, not to not to spoil the end or anything, right? But uh, Luza ends up with a spot um, in the in the championship four, and that's not a great finish in the race for him, um, as he you know kind of fell back and was mid twenties. But I I don't know if he was trying to like if he didn't know Ray was pitting. Or if he, you know, didn't know, or if he was trying to, because Palliner was slow, right? So he was, I don't know if he was trying to get to the inside to get around him. But at that point, I mean, he, he turns to the right, clips him, takes out another car. And at this point, I'm thinking Luz is done, Ray's done, right? I'm thinking they're both gone. Ray actually had a better car somehow through the damage. But Luz is the one who ends up, you know, hanging on enough to, to get the job down. And, and he helped him. Uh, you know, issues with some other drivers later in the race that, that we'll get to when we get to that point. Yeah, I think, you know, Challoner is checking and, uh, and you know, Ray sees that and he starts to check. And then, of course, it's just one of those chain reactions. And, uh, you know, we did hear from Ryan after the race and he, he said he didn't know those guys were pitting at all and he wasn't ready for it. And he was three wide and he was digging hard. So, yeah, I'm surprised. I think he was surprised that he was able to, uh, you know, carry on to the final four after being involved in this particular incident. And he even the one part I do remember when we talked in post races, he thought at that point he said he was heartbroken, right? I mean, there's so much on the line for these guys. Not only is it a lot of money, and that obviously means a lot of stakes, but um, you know, just emotionally and all the time they put in, he thought he was done. Um, and he just basically kind of rolled around uh, with a pretty bad car for the for the rest of the race, just keeping it in it. And that proved to be critical because, you know, when we talk about what that point split was, I mean, it wasn't by much that he ends up in. So uh, he was from the highs of running good, you know, to the lows of thinking he's out to the to the last second high of basically getting in on the final lap. Okay, so this is what I love. I had four cars on the lead lap because we were in the middle of stops. Uh, Conti has a lead. It was Keister and Alfala. Like you said, Ray still was fast, even though he got involved. But um, a bunch of wave arounds. Everybody else was doing a wave around. So we had that. Um, and then to the lead, you know, Colin Keister uh, takes control uh, around Mike Conti on the restart. Uh, <clears throat> the pass takes Conti out of contention for the final four as they run when we're looking at those points and moves Ray Alfala in on points currently. So the points were, like I said, were going up and down the whole race, and this uh, caution changed everything. It did, and, I, and you know, I thought it was going to be the consequential part. And this is the stuff that has happened in years past, but honestly, you know, without the live points, 
it's hard for us to kind of do the math. So it's such a good visual, right? And Conti, when he's not leading, he was like eighth of the eight. I mean, he was way, way down. So he needed the win. So the second he goes out of the lead, you know, Mullis had been the guy solidly third in points, highest on points. But when it opened up a second one on points, that's what put Alfala in. He was doing pretty good with the back end damage. And it seemed like Keister was better on the long run, which I thought was going to hurt Conti here. And at this point, I'm thinking, listen, Michael Conti's got a really good shot to win this race. But Colin Keister may want to win it more. And that says a lot when you consider what's on the line for Conti, right? So that was looking like it was going to be a great battle all night because Conti would go to the lead, get a couple out front, but but you know Colin wouldn't let him go. He'd stay on his bumper, get him back, and then same thing. Conti wouldn't let him go back and forth, and you know we're thinking at this at that point, hey, this is going to be a great you know sixty or seventy laps to the end with one more pit stop needed. Yeah, um, lap one twelve, Garrett Lowe, Alex McCollum begin the final round of their green flag stops. It was lap one thirty three, um, Ray Alfa, Colin Keister, Mike Conti, Logan Clampett, basically battling for the race lead. Some really good racing right there. And then it turned into the roommates to P1 and 2. Uh, Mike Conti was just 30 laps away from winning the championship, and it certainly like uh, looked like Logan had his back. Uh, 26 to go. Um, <clears throat> Keister and Alfala was, were fading, and so it even looked better for them. And then all of a sudden, heartbreak for Mike Conti. Caution. Um, he had that thing wrapped up. It was his, right? I mean, he was locked in, uh, pulling away. And, and to be fair, um, you know, I, and I joked about this immediately because I, I kind of thought in my head, like, hey, I shouldn't mention a caution, right? Because you can jinx it or whatever. Um, so I didn't say he doesn't want a caution. I just said, um, I think I said something about he doesn't want any flags, right? I tried to keep it generic. And then 10 seconds later, I mean, just, like <laughs> I just not gonna, I'm just not going to bring it up ever again because, uh, you know, what a time for the, the commentator's curse. And, and then here you go, right? Then it's a, it's a whole new race for the second or third time in one race, right? I mean, those those critical moments that we'll remember three, four years from now, right? Late at Texas. I mean, Conti ends up obviously going to get the win anyway. So it's not as consequential as it could have been. But if he loses that race... That's something that he thinks about for the rest of his sim career, right? So we had a couple of those huge turning point moments. And I honestly thought that this was one of the most, you know, kind of story rich races of the year, just because there was so much to follow. And, and I really enjoyed covering it. And, you know, not to, we're still going through the race, but I just wanted to throw that out that I thought it was, you know, a great stuff uh, to follow. It was really entertaining. Absolutely. So uh, the caution was Overland as he just nailed the wall and he took out Shearburn. Um, everyone pits. Now, this was very interesting. Logan clearly is beating Conti off pit road by maybe even a car length. Oh, yeah. But when they get to the line, it's Conti in first. And so he actually uh, let him have the, the lead at the line. And then it was Keister, Bolin, Alfala, Kerwin, Lyon, Davies, Bolton. Bryant Mullis Leahy Lowe for the lineup. 20 to go restart. Alfala is falling through the field, though. Uh, the top five lines up. Um, <clears throat> lap 18, caution is out again. And this is where we get into the, you know, rinse, wash, and, and repeat, right? Where we, we keep going and, uh, you know, yellow here and yellow there. And, and just to make a point, you know, Clampett obviously working with Conti, they're not official teammates but obviously the roommates right so uh there's a lot of communication going on there um and i think a part of me honestly is was a little bit surprised i think that 
uh, Logan didn't want to have to make it that obvious, right? Um, if that race goes green, he can kind of sit a car length, two car lengths behind him, not really have any intention of passing him, and you know nobody's none the wiser, right? But then they had to get into the point where I think it started to tiptoe a little bit towards manipulation, and I know that the the Cup Series has has rules against that. Um, I mean, I, anything happens, right? You can't penalize Conti. He's just running his race, and Clampett's the one kind of being the blocker. But it wasn't just on pit road where it was obvious, obvious. But everybody kind of knew at that point what was happening because on track, Clampett was you know blocking for his dear life uh, for second here and there and trying to check up guys on the restarts, doing everything he can uh, to help out Conti. Yeah, that was interesting. And um We'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later here. Malik Ray was the reason uh, he, he actually bobbled the, and then there was a chain reaction and Dylan Duvall gets tagged and spun. And and then you guys interview uh, Logan right after that. Uh, and, and he didn't help himself with what he was saying <laughs> there. I mean, he, he, he kind of uh, said verbally, yeah, I'm helping Mike, but he said it in a roundabout way, I'll say. Yeah. I think he said something about like, I'm not going to, Something about I'm not going to incriminate myself or I'm not going to just say it, but everybody knows what's happening, right? So, I mean, like I said, if it had gone green, then we could have been like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure Logan wasn't too pressed on letting the eight car win there because he could, like I said, fast car, just sit behind him. I don't think anybody would have been like, oh, there's, you know, he could have easily passed Conti for the win. Conti's really good at that point. But, you know, once that happened on pit road, uh, I think they kind of showed their cards and, and that kind of tipped everybody else off, you know third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you're seeing that. And specifically, an incident that happens a little bit later, Colin Keister saw that and uh, did not appreciate it because uh, everybody real quickly got uh, pretty sick and tired of the 99. Well, I've been in that position. When you when you have teammates in front of you and you're third or fourth, it, it's a little bit harder than if they're working individually. If they're working as a team, it, uh, it, it can be harder. So uh, it, it was definitely interesting. 13 to go, restart. Uh, it was a caution, a lap later on the backstretch. It was Eric Smith. He came across the nose of his teammate, Michael Garigula, and spins hard into the wall. Uh, not sure what happened. We talked to Mike on, on the interview there. Uh, he didn't know. Um, it seemed to happen going down the straightaway, too, so I'm not sure. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't get a chance to see if uh, if Eric had posted or you know tweeted anything about the incident, but uh, I think I mentioned that's the cardinal rule, right? Don't don't take out your teammate and and Michael. I think was pretty clear. We talked to him. And he's like, I I don't know what to do. So uh, curious if uh, if Jim shot those guys a text after the race and uh, told them to straighten it out. Because I mean, I guess you get both cars on TV, right, in one shot. But that's uh, not an ideal way of doing it. And uh, Brad Davies was up to fourth uh, for this restart with seven to go. Now he's teammates with Conti. And I uh, was thinking maybe he's going to be able to help, too. Uh, Garrett Lowe, uh, pits for tires here. He's 30th. Uh, somebody said on the radio, you're going to win this race now, but he didn't. Which is funny because, you know, if it had gone green, I think it was his crew chief or whoever had said, you know, if this goes green with the fresh tires, you're going to, you know, fly by. But it, the, you know, that opening run where, where we saw the, the big charge to the race lead by Bryant, it was like four. Or whatever laps difference, and I think it wasn't quite that with all the yellows this time, and there was less time to get to the front, right? So I kind of doubted the call by Garrett Lowe at that point, though. I think you have to make it right in that context. The funny part is, though, 
with all the their wrecking that still had to happen and, and you know the green white checkered attempt and whatnot I think if he had actually stayed out, he would have gotten more points um, and just kind of maintained his position if he had just held it because he only got back up to 22nd. Um, and I think his difference on points, if, if he wanted to be in, um, was, you know, a little bit tighter than that. Somewhere, uh, you know, I think it was only six points off of Luza who gets the final spot. So in that moment, was it the right call to make? Yeah, because you can't predict what's going to happen, right? So you're thinking, hey, if I just sit here, not going to do it. Uh, the well, brutal irony is, you know, if, if you chance, could look right? into the future, right, and you would have seen that, you know, Mullis was going to get in a wreck and that would have opened up a spot on points, he probably would have stayed. But, uh, you know, that happened uh, a yellow or two later. So uh, it's just the way it goes sometimes. But but that's tough. I mean, there were so many people that had such close calls like that where one decision either way could have swung the championship. Okay, so let's set up here uh, the big moment of the race, six to go. Uh, Keister's looking for a hole. I mean, it was uh, Conti and then Logan. And Logan was blocking, not like uh, Talladega blocking, but, you know, like Texas blocking. And uh, moving up just a little, moving down just a little, uh, you know, as Keister was getting runs. And it happened, you know, two, three times. And then uh, at some point, you know, Keister just gets him a little bit and Logan slips. And it just slips up a half a lane and... Uh, the whole field has to kind of check, and then boom, 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 big, big, big wreck. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, Keister, Keister was over it, right? I mean, I, th- I don't know if Colin Keister had a better car than Conti because, you know, this goes back to the battle they had earlier in the race where, you know, Conti was able to lead for a bit, then Colin got out front. I think those two cars would have been really even, and it would have been a great battle. Uh, but at that point, you know, Logan had, had kind of tipped his hand. Everybody knew that Logan was trying to protect, and, I mean, Colin just drove through him. Uh, you know, he had no intentions of lifting. He basically just drove right through the bumper and, and moved him. Um, but I think you can understand the frustration with Colin. Um, I think that if, you know, if Conti or if, if Clampett's not there and Conti's the one throwing blocks, I don't think he's to drive through the bumper of a playoff guy. Right. But because Logan's not a playoff guy and he's just kind of playing defense. Yeah. He, he was done. Yep. Yep, it didn't take him long, but uh, yeah, and it, it, it affected a lot of people there. Uh, Leahy was up to six somehow for the restart after that. Low, Alfala, Luza, Mullis all have issues. Mullis was very ha- heavy damage and no front end. So we're thinking under the caution, boy, he's going to drop like a rock and fall right out of the points, and that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, there's, you know, we'll talk about this last lap, and then I want to highlight three of our playoff guys because the last lap, changed for all three of them and, and that's what makes the difference and obviously it, it starts there with Mullis getting that damage beforehand and uh i mean if the race ends there right if we had just gone to the white he can limp that thing around for the top 10 he's good but yeah he he was just junk on that last restart yep and so at that point um he was up by 19 lee he was down by 19 points on the cutoff um as they go into green white checker number one uh, we got a restart with Keegan on board. Boy, you, you know, he was going for it. Uh, but Conti gets a great restart. And then they do get the white flag. Uh, Keister's in second. Uh, Lyon was on second. And uh, Keister goes high on the back. Conti has the advantage. They wreck behind him in that battle for second. And Conti wins, moving into the top four. 
Yeah, I honestly thought uh, Keister was going to win it. And I think he just got hit by Bolin, who was coming up the bottom, who gave Conti a shot. And and they all wreck. And, and Mike Conti gets the race win. So he is moving on to fight for the championship. And then, and then here's the three things I want to highlight. So you already mentioned number one, Jimmy Mullis, with the damage. He fell all the way to 22nd, I think. And that takes him out of the points. He was in on the last, you know, the white flag lap of this race. He's out when it's done. So the driver who gets in is going to be Ryan Luza. Luza finished only, I think it was four points, three points ahead of the uh, the next closest driver, Mullis. It was three. So you had Mullis falling out. Luza gets in by three points. Luza finished ahead of three cars that were three wide. So if he was behind those three cars, I think it was McCollum, Gorilla, and Kerwin. You know, if Luza's behind them, he's out. Mullis is still in by one. And then also for Keegan Leahy, Leahy was in about fifth position or so on the last lap of this race. In fact, on the back straightaway, yeah, he was fifth right behind those two sets of two. He gets in a wreck, falls to 11th. That is the six-point swing, and he missed it by four. So there were so many different ways that white flag lap alone could have had Leahy in, could have had Mullis in, but instead it ends up with losing in all of that within one and a half miles. It was pretty crazy. It, it's crazy. We race all season and it comes down to the white flag, you know, um, the way the points are structured and the way it's just great. Uh, Brad Davies second. Wow. Great run. That's junior motorsports up front for, uh, you know, team one, two. That's great. Bobby Zelinski. I didn't mention his name once. Where did he come from? He's third from nowhere. And then I think Ottinger was 7th, Keegan was 11th, Mullis 31st. And I don't think we mentioned Bobby's name once either. <laughs> we were joking about that with him uh, when we talked to him, right? I mean, he was nowhere to be found, despite the fact that he started 4th, right? I mean, he was the guy that just got on that back cycle a little bit with the pit strategy and, and the differences early and just kind of rode around, but he kept the car clean, right? I mean... You know, a lot of guys walking away with with incidents, you know, four X's and eight incident points, whatever. Um, you know, Zelensky didn't get uh, a single, you know, major bit of damage and was, you know, sixth on the white flag lap. But when they all wreck, finds a hole and gets third. And, you know, maybe maybe it's going to take something like that, like a quiet night. Right. Because when you look at our, our four guys, I don't think Bobby's somebody who's going to go out and lead every lap at Homestead. Um, you know, he does have some wins, uh, you know, on the ovals now, you know, we, we talk so much about him being the, uh, the road course guy. Um, and, and he has a win at the, at the super speedway in Daytona, but obviously that's not a direct translation to the intermediate. So maybe that's what Bobby needs to do on Monday, right? Is just qualify top five and be there as long as you're there then you have a chance. And, and maybe that's going to be the strategy, not to discredit, you know, Bobby's talent. He's one of, you know, probably top three drivers in this series, but, you know, just based on his finishing results at these kind of tracks this year, then, then maybe that's going to be what they go for. Okay. So what did we learn? Don't mess with Colin Keister. Um, nope. <laughs> so that's some of the talk after the race, uh, post-race, I was on the Twitter on the tweet, tweet, uh, Kevin King, uh, who's been around iRacing a long time, he posted up, you block, you pay. Then the field gets destroyed when you get sent. Impressive. Well, there's been a lot of that, right? And and it's, you, you mentioned, you know, it, it wasn't 
blocking, it was Texas blocking. I, you know, it's. I think now we can just call it cup blocking because that's how you have to drive these cars. These are not the cars that you break at Texas with anymore, not the cars that you lift, you know, at, at these intermediates or break at these intermediates with. Um, it's all about the positioning. And, uh, you know, fortunately, Conti had somebody to do his dirty work for him, which, which was a little bit less uh, consequential because, like I said, I don't think Colin would have driven through Conti if Conti was throwing the blocks, but maybe Conti goes through a block and spins about across somebody's nose, right, and, and takes himself out of the race. But that's what, this point structure, as you mentioned, makes these drivers do. Um, so I think it's a little bit more of, of don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah, and it's always bittersweet to see uh, people like Jimmy Mullis and Keegan Leahy, you know, tweet out their thoughts after the race of what could have been. You know, they both, like you said, if things had just gone just a little bit different in the white flag, uh, these guys would have been in. So many, like, like all three of them if the finishing results had gone five positions this way, five positions that way could have been Leahy in, uh, you know, it, it could have been Mullis in. So, so watch for those two guys, right? Cause they're going to have a point to prove where if we had had our top four, I would have probably, if they were in it, Leahy and Mullis would have been probably one, two in some sort of order. If I had to, you know, give you a mock-up of how I think it finishes, they're both out. So historically, with this current format, you've had to win the race to get the championship. But I think that your championship four still need to to kind of buy into that mentality. But at the same time, Mullis and Leahy are going to have a point to prove. And honestly, I don't know how much um, better it will make either of those guys feel if if they go out and run good. You know, Leahy probably has a real good look at winning that race. I don't know if I'd if I'd rather you know being him win the race and then be like, see, if I just got didn't wreck, you know, at a turn four, I'd have a hundred thousand dollars right now. If I'm Keegan, I'm, I'd almost rather run awful so that I'm not haunted with what could have been, because especially as as we've kind of touched on all year, with how much respect Keegan raced Zach with last year, I think he deserved some luck, right? And and he didn't get it, and that's uh. It's the way it is in racing, right? I mean, a lot of the time there's no justice. He's the Denny Hamlin of iRacing. I don't know. That's a compliment. But um, Denny's kind of been in those positions, too, where you're close, but you just didn't get it. Yeah, Yeah, Mark Martin as well. I know a lot of people throw that one out, too. Exactly. A very clean racer. Well, uh, Evan, it's been uh, fun talking this race. This was a good one. Um, I've been looking forward to the the playoffs and and the storyline to go with it, and, and we certainly had them with this one. And I think next week is going to be uh, no different, obviously. So uh, Monday night, Tuesday's the election, so I guess it's Monday night is a good idea. I, I realize. Yeah, so we moved it up a day, which is funny because I I run a league on Mondays, so my league stuff had to get pushed to Tuesday, um, so that I can I can be there. But yeah, so we're Monday and we're an hour earlier. So so if you're trying to tune in, don't forget we're going to be on Monday the second, and it will be an eight o'clock p.m. Eastern time start instead of nine. So a day earlier and an hour earlier. Full broadcast, as always, on all the iRacing and NASCAR social channels. eNASCAR.com is the, the easiest place to find it, and there's going to be a ton of content, I'm sure, from Steve and everybody uh, over the course of the week on there. And then um, I don't know the exact uh, timing yet, but I know NBCSN is going to have an hour-long version 
of that broadcast. Um, I don't remember if it's either after the Cup Martinsville race or it's after the Cup race at Phoenix. I, I don't have confirmation on that yet. I'm sure it's out there. But uh, if you missed it, that'll be a good way to catch up as well. I think it was right after. I heard right after the Phoenix race. Um, they're going to showcase it. Because I think it was originally Martinsville and it got switched because we were supposed to be full on TV after Martinsville. And that's why I think it's just an hour uh, after the, the cup thing on, on Phoenix. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that's what it is, but um, I would just, I'll plug enascar.com again to double check. And, you know, you can follow me on Twitter and everybody else in the, in the sim racing space. And uh, I promise you we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about it. So hope everybody tunes in on Monday. And uh, of course, give us some support as well on NBC. Cause if, if, you know, people tune in and watch that, that, that gives us a better chance to, to get some of those dates back for, you know, full races on TV headed into next year that we should have had this time. Yeah. And it's coming. We'll get, we're getting to that point. Uh, it's been a good year for Coke racing and, uh, broadcast and everything that's happened and um, looking forward to this final event. It's going to be a heck of a race. Conti's got some momentum, uh, but Bobby has just been there every week. And, uh, you know, Ryan had some, Ryan Luza had some crazy luck, but then there's silent Nick uh, just kind of waiting in the wings. So lots of storylines. Yeah, I mean, Nick is somebody who I think gets overlooked so much, even by myself, right? And you, and you mentioned silent Nick. He's probably you know, speed wise and, and one of the veterans in this series, I mean, he's got a real good look. Cause like I said, I think Bobby uh, is going to need to have a good car and a little bit of good timing. If it's strategy, if it's luck, whatever it is to get the job done, you got Conti, I think has got a real good opportunity to just go out there and win the race. Um, you know, you talk about uh, Luza who can easily win at Homestead. We've seen that in the past, but he hasn't been great right in this second half of the season. So he needs to, to turn things around and, kind of get back to his old form. And, you know, there's all those different stories coming together. Um, it's going to be an awesome race. Uh, you know, I think that obviously with it being the same points as you have in Cup on its surface, um, you know, our, our schedule is shorter, right? So we can't, you know, do it ideally. My favorite playoff format in NASCAR was always just the 10 race chase. Um, points on through. So you don't get, you know, you know, best Carl year is not out from one bad week. And, you know, Keegan probably deserves to be there. He's, I think, that guy. But one thing that I don't think anybody can deny is it is damn entertaining to watch. Um, so four drivers um, and $100,000 to the guy who finishes ahead of the rest of the, you know, those other three, um, you're not going to want to miss it. All right. So one more time, Evan, can you come on one more time and we'll talk uh, Homestead next Thursday. Uh, we sure appreciate you coming on this year and talking racing. It's really uh been a, a blessing for our listeners to to just get some uh you know race review of uh what we've seen and it's kind of nice to digest it after the fact yeah absolutely i'll uh, i'll catch you guys on thursday and uh hopefully uh you know everybody enjoys the race and and i hope that it's uh an exciting one i think it's been uh for for what a wild year it was right um not only on the track but off the track i think we're uh, we deserve a good finish so i uh, hope everybody uh, tunes in on monday and i'll chat with you guys uh next week all right very good we're looking forward to it thanks for coming on yep see you guys to the outside and a fight for a second as there's contact behind three wide for the race lead in turn three here comes colin keister to the outside of michael conti conti gonna get a push from bolin the 17 spins they wreck behind and michael conti wins and goes to homestead to fight for a championship
All right, uh, David, you got to pick us up back into stories. Yeah, we've got a guy that uh, posted a message uh, asking if he could get rid of some of the reverb on his engine sounds. Uh, and staffer Greg West, who happens to also be a kind of a colleague in the podcast world, uh, pointed out that if they're getting reverb in their engine sound, it might be that they have the LFE settings turned on and you only want those on if you actually have a bass shaker david tucker sound engineer uh or sound man also pointed out that your lfe should be separately connected uh rather through your speakers not by a y cable which is something that just splits the same signal um and if for some reason you wanted to run lfe lfe effects through your speakers you can change it in the app ini but um you know an lfe or the or the a bass shaker is basically a subsonic type of effect it's not actually a speaker and so some of those frequencies are way lower and when you put those signals you mix those signals in with with regular sound it can actually cause some weird effects i don't know it, it causes effects i actually like um i'm actually running it this the wrong way as they call it so i mentioned this i think last week briefly um but they made a change on wednesday i think and it affected me on thursday right before the recording but Basically, uh, there's an app INI setting where you can flip a switch and set it to back the way it was, and that's what I did. But I have LFE turned on, and I don't have a, uh, one of those things. I just have a big old subwoofer behind my seat, and that LFE is feeding that subwoofer. And yes, there is reverb, but I like it. It, it, uh, it adds to the rumble of the car engine. Um, this is a $500 subwoofer that's built for a living room sound system a very high end and it goes very low decibels and it can replicate a lot of what a bass shaker can do um and it's work it's been working for me and so i would i was kind of shocked when it happened so i changed it back but there's other people that have posted there's another uh, forum post here from uh, benjamin johnson saying this the car sounds and season four patch are awful and basically, he probably had it set up the same way I did or something, and um, they made this change, and now uh, it's different. So check your LFE settings if you think your sound is different. And uh, just, to, just to pitch in on that, um, I actually would rather recommend just not using LFE on iRacing at all, um, if, even if you have a bass shaker, because that's what I have. I have bass shakers, but I don't use the LFE on the iRacing settings. You know, I use that third-party app, um, SimHub, and it gives you a lot more different um, options of how to set that LFE up. You can set it for road rumble. You can set it for RPMs, and you can change those and variate those. Uh, so um, I think a third-party app is a lot better for an LFE anyway. So uh, that's what would be my recommendation if you do have a, have a base shaker. Yeah, I think that's a good point because um, before they added the LFE functionality, my subwoofer really wasn't working i mean you could turn up the engine sound and it would just barely even move you couldn't really hear it but and so when they added this functionality which is basically david tucker putting into the sim a way to use an lfe uh shaker without that software that you mentioned you know you you can use this rudimentary built-in software or you could go get the thing brian mentioned but um you don't want to do both you want to do one or the other but when they added that 
it it really uh, tur- it brought my uh, subwoofer alive, so to speak, and uh, and I love it the way it was. I got it tweaked in such a way where I have all the engine sounds turned way down, and I have the LFE turned way up, just to get the right mix uh, with my two front com- uh, speakers compared to the sub. Tony, I know you're going to talk a little bit later about all the rain, probably in the fantasy pick, but how about uh, rain in uh, iRacing? <laughs> yeah, that might just come up a little later on as well. Um, yeah, so it says in our title, it says today's patch, but this is actually from last week. Um, but it's worth talking about anyways. That um, uh, Luke Dowding pointed out that uh, you know they're fixing an issue in the... Sorry, in the Delara F3 with a missing rain switch toggle. Um, you know, just alluding to that, you know, it's it's coming, but now, you know, they've they've already said that they are working on this, um, but uh, it's not going to be here this year. So uh, probably next year, could we speculate maybe March? Probably a little later on, it sounds to me like it would be a, kind of a complicated thing to uh, implement. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, well, I guess the question is, is why did they leave the switch off the car to begin with? And then now they want to add it. Oh, maybe because we're having rain? Yeah, I would be, I'd kind of be surprised if that was a high priority, that rain, you know, because, I mean, I'm sure it's a huge project to tackle, to add rain to the game and all the different effects that it has on the vehicles. And it's not going to be used on, like, oval racing doesn't have rain. Dirt racing is not going to have rain. So, um, I don't know. I just, I'm just not sure how prior, high prioritized that that process is for rain. Well, did you see all the tweets of people wanting to run oval? Even Junior think said today that he thinks they could try rain tires on ovals. Crazy. Yeah, there was a. I saw a nice response to that to that idea. I don't think it was a direct reply to him, showing one of the jet dryers barely even able to stay up on the banking, with the road being wet. And the jet dryer has like groove tires, you know, like a regular street car. Yeah, groove twi- groove tires and extra hardware, uh, you know, on top of it, and um, it just yeah, I can't hold on to the banking, and it's sliding, you know, and that's going five miles an hour, ten miles an hour. Yeah, when I was watching the uh, the oval the roval race at Charlotte when they had the rain, uh, those cars did not look stable in the oval part of the track at all. They looked damn scary. Sketchy. Well, and they weren't anywhere close to what an oval speed oval is, you know, because of all the chicanes that kept those speeds down. But trying to do it in an oval where the cars are tweaked to just turn left, I don't. I, it just seems I, illogical. I'd love it as this this one. It just happens, you know, two or three times a year. You're you're at Martinsville and it's green, and all of a sudden you're getting drops of water on the windshield, just a few, and maybe a little more. And then all of a sudden the caution comes out. Well, we got caution for rain. Oh, it looks like it let up. Okay, we're going back green. Just something like that. Just uh, you know, some random weather event. Uh, that would be great for an NIS race that already had about 125 caution laps last night. That would be. We yeah, really need. We more. really need another caution. <laughs> so I just wanted to uh, jump in here. Like when uh, when when Junior was talking about you know racing ovals in rain, he was more alluding to a situation like we just faced at Texas. Um, you know where it's very very light. Uh, you know like a mist. You know the the ground is 
just getting a little bit wet. Um, he said, like, a uh, situation like Charlotte at the Roval, like, you could never do that um, at, a, at a normal oval. It would have to be just a, you know, just a, a really, really light rain. And for iRacing to kind of uh, mimic that, I don't think that would be... Um, I think that that would be just. Well, what's the point? Why don't you just just have no rain at at, at ovals in i racing? All right, let's just have it for road. Let's keep it simple, you know. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, you know, you're speaking about it being a priority. Well, one of the things that probably hasn't has to be a priority is the fact that multi groove racing is gone since Tire Model Seven. Yeah, and that's the next topic. Uh, Brennan McGee uh, put up in the forums a lively discussion uh, suggesting that multi-groove racing has been absent in oval racing ever since the release of this V7 tire model. Tyler Hudson did chime in that it's been frustrating for everyone, including the, some of the pro drivers. He said it's a complex problem, but assures everyone that they're working hard on correcting the issue. So I like it. It's an acknowledgement. Hey, you know. We see this too. We're thinking about it. We're trying to figure out what to do. And I would just say thank you for working on this before putting rain in. Exactly. There's a priority, right? My question is, is, um, is the tire model too close to accurate? Because, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of multi-group racing in, uh, in cup class anyway. Well, it's, yeah, yeah, I know. The main thing with the cup cars, it's just that package you can't pass. Uh, right, that that is true. Yes. To pass, you have to have time off the throttle. Period. This package sucks, but we're stuck with it. So, uh, who's ready for some Saturday night NIS racing? No. Well, pa- <laughs> well Eric Papanow is because uh, he enjoys uh, NIS racing. He posted this in the forums. He really likes NSI racing, but. Um, the times that are normally scheduled are just really not the best for him. And he proposed that iRacing add a Saturday night race to the schedule. And even in the forums, he posted up a, a 30-day poll. If you guys want to uh, go to the forums and, and check it out, you can uh, you can uh, put in your two cents whether you think uh, a Saturday night race would be good in NIS. Now, there's only are there five fixed races, if, if I'm remembering right? Six of one, five of the other. Yeah, uh, there's only four open. Maybe it, it's something like that. They're not. Yeah, there's like they're not, not equal. Yeah, there's one more fixed. So yeah, I'd be I, I would be happy with a Saturday night uh, open. Yeah, there's five fixed and four open. So yeah, if you just add one open, uh, I don't think that would be a big deal. Just having five and five. I know, and and, the, and it looks like the votes are for yes, we should do it. Fifty nine percent of the people who voted say yes. Twenty uh, percent no. 21% said maybe with more conversation. And it doesn't have to be Saturday night. It could be like an earlier afternoon, like even a 4 p.m. or something. I think is historical. I mean, we've had this these time slots traditionally, historically, for years now. And now you want to change them? You know, how many years have we been doing this? Well, is it going to break anything? Is there really a con other than tradition for tradition's sake well oh for the glory of the stats but you can't even look up good stats so i guess not yeah i think it would be less less uh, of a problem if they just added the one 
you know, keep the same days that everybody's been used to for years. So should we talk about daylight savings time now? <laughs> Which is coming. I was this gonna weekend, say right? something. <laughs> I was gonna say something about that. So the, the running bet is, am I going to miss an NIS race next week because of time zone? Well, next and week you would be there early, right? Next week you would be there early. But here's the thing, um, David, you and I were talking about this the other day. Yeah. What happens with NIS is some races move with our time zone to where they stay the same for everybody who shifts. Some races don't. And so for Mike, the opposite is the case. All of the races that, that stay the same for us move for him, and the races that, that change for us stay the same for him. Yeah, it makes crystal clear for me. Yep. We're going to have to come up with some, uh, you know, like daylight savings time GIF specifically geared to you, and, and all of us will just spam your phone all day so you don't miss anything. But here's what you do on, on Monday morning. You just go look at the session times with the website. You know, you can actually see the, alarm, when the races yeah. are and send an alarm on your phones with the with the current times, because once the time has shifted it all on the website, it always gives you your local time. I always think about that, but then I get caught up in life and it's just like, in a, you know, this is my normal routine, you know, and I get into it and then all of a sudden everything's different. And yeah, it just throws me off. But we'll see if we can uh, not screw it up this week. Yeah, for what I, I'm looking at the schedule, I think as far as open goes, Thursday is the only day that's different with daylight savings. Isn't the Sunday morning one too? No, one of the Saturdays moves. Saturday? The fix, maybe? In the fix, yes. Yeah, like, I think the really early Saturday one ends up getting shifted. That's right. Because those are Aussie uh, races, basically. I guess I'd be okay with it. I did vote no, but I, I'd be okay with it. Tony, have, do you have your tux ready? Yeah, sure do. Just getting uh, steam cleaned as we speak. So this uh, this has got to be new. Uh, the VCO Simi Awards, that's Virtual Competition Organization. Um, I say they bring together different stakeholders in esports from simulation or gaming platforms and uh, interested partners to active teams, drivers, community. Um, yeah, we got a we got an awards deal happening um, happening this year. And what do they do? What do we win? It's like a thousand dollars to the charity of choice of of whoever wins in the in the various categories. So. Uh, the categories that we have so far here is uh, best esports racer, best real world pro, best team, platform, car, event, social media, newcomer, hardware, commentary, Hall of Famer. And um, I was kind of checking it out a little bit. I went in to see if you could, like, how, how the, the voting works. And um, basically, it, they, they, they give you a choice for each um, for each category. You can nominate five people and you just type in their actual names. They're, they're not on a drop down list or um, like a multiple choice thing. And uh, that's how they do it. Now, uh, a date for this as to when this happens. 
Uh, it's uh, December 26th is the 2020 VCO Simi Awards. Uh, this nomination uh, stage happens until November 25th, and then they're going to have a voting stage uh, after that up to December 6th. So I think what they do is they put everyone nominates, and then they're going to have a drop-down list that we can actually vote from. Okay, okay, that's how they're going to work it. Well, that kind of makes sense then, too. Um, so how do we... So how do we... I think uh, the iRacers Lounge podcast would probably fall under best commentary. But Evan Pasoko had also told me that uh, he might fall under best commentary as a commentator. So I don't know if, if podcasting uh, fits into that or not. I hope it does because I actually went in and nominated my uh, the iRacers Lounge podcast uh, on our behalf. I may uh, second that. Yeah, and I would love the listeners to do that too because I think the more nominations you get, the more chance that you have to get into the voting. So uh, if you guys could go search this VCO Semi Awards and uh, put in a vote for us, I, I'd appreciate it. Vote for our friend Evan as well. Well, I actually have uh, an address here, and it's really goofy, so bear with me. It's v-c-o.info and then slash semi-nominations. It'll take you right to the voting. Um, but if you search yeah search vco semi awards it'll probably be a lot easier a lot quicker or uh v-c-o.info uh should get you pretty close to it yeah and um th it was this was fun for me to participate in to go through the nominations um some of the nominations like best car well guess what i've put the 87 nascar legends car was the best car of 2020 easy and then the best event, well, I picked that uh, event that um, Kyle Larson got in trouble on, uh, Mother's Day evening. Uh, what was it called? The Monza Madness by Landon Castle. So I thought that yeah, might be the best event of the year. Best hardware. Uh, what did I put? I forget what I put. Is this new hardware, you think, or just anything that's out there? I don't know. It, it's not a very specific category. It literally has two words, best hardware. Yeah, I would say anything that's been out, even if it's a little older. I'd have to throw in the 217 as a competitor to that 87, because even though I haven't bought it myself, it's made uh, racing in both the IMSA series and Le Mans series better. And that's like best platform? Well, duh, it's iRacing. But I struggled with other ones like Hall of Famer. I mean, uh, yeah, who, kinda, who do you pick? You know, that, that's kind of vague. Do we have enough history yet to really start making a Hall of Fame? Exactly, and uh, you know, I, and I would uh, for Hall of Famer, I would probably put uh, Ray Alfal. I think. And then best real world pro, I guess that's also a sim racer is what they're looking for, but. Um, you know, there's so many to choose from there. You got all the IndyCar guys and the NASCAR guys who did so good this spring during the virus stuff. Um, there, you know, and you got Max Verstappen and, Lan you know, Lando. And there's so many people, uh, you know, I think I put Lando. Well, the highest I rating is in uh, Oval is by a pro driver, right? There you go. And, and like Tony said, there's, there's multiple boxes. You can nominate multiple people. And so... I was going into this quick to try to, you know, see what it was about. But 
it, it'll take you, you know, 20, 30 minutes to go through if you're going to fill it out. And, you know, it, uh, so check it out. It's kind of fun. And I hope we get involved somehow. Uh, we got Mike Morley up on the up on the chat voting uh, Maximilian Beneke for Hall of Famer. There you go. So I wonder if anybody's going to vote for the Corvette C8R for the best new car. Well, it does have its own series. I don't know if that'll help or not. Well, there, there's it's it's kind of a series. This is a special competition that's being put up uh, by Corvette. And when you actually go and open the official rules, uh, it feels like I'm looking at uh, you know some kind of legalese contract. As um, you look at it, and it, that's it's a whole bunch of legalese. The prize, the grand prize, is a Corvette C8R watch. And it, the way I basically can can re- understand this is there's going to be about there's going to be a, a certain time period of time trials and in that have, car. In that car, it's going to go from. Uh, I'm sorry, I had it pulled up. I'm going to have to hit click back because well, I lost it's it on my page. Now, I think, yeah, it, and it, it goes it, till November 21st, and that's right. where they uh, they're going to have a race on November 21st. Yeah, the in a, the race will consist of the top 40 drivers, as well as 10 celebrities who are not eligible for the prize. It actually started on the 26th. Yeah, I had the wrong page open. Um, so yeah, you can run as many times as you want, and then the top so many qualifiers are going in and can race for a watch. That's the top prize, and if you get, and then there's some runner-up prizes, which is a helmet with the custom Corvette racing decoration. That's this worth is about US hundred dollars. Yep, that's right. It is U.S. only because Greg was like, "I'm going to run it. I'm going to run it," and then he's like, "I'm not going to run it." That's a bummer. It's U.S. only. I don't know why, but. Um... Yeah, if you want to get involved, you got to get in the time attack for that particular car. And um, he said, uh, to avoid confusion on the time attack, we disabled the Corvette time attack during the qualifying period. We will turn it back on when qualifying is complete. So I guess if you go on the new UI, new UI you'll see it. Pretty cool. Moving on, uh, we got an uh, email from a listener with uh, about a previous story about the supercars. And it was Alex uh, Stelboviks from Perth, uh, Western Australia. <clears throat> he uh, going to impart some knowledge on us about these supercars. So I'm going to read a little bit about what he wrote here. In the mid-90s, we had a couple of oval tracks we raced, but that series here was using past Xfinity cars brought in from the USA. Supercars have never raced on any oval series down under, unfortunately, although they would perform right up there in cup, I do believe. Fuel injection, they're not carburetors. As for the Holden, they were our beloved family saloon cars in Australia to your Chevys in the USA, but were often more compact and lighter bodied from the 50s through the mid-2000s with better handling, and since the late 70s took a distinct European design and handling car the Holden Commodore, with a muscled 5-liter uh, GM V8 through to the late 90s, and in the 2000s, a 6.2-liter LS3 Chevy V8. The V8 Supercar Series has been predominantly 5-liter V8 since the mid-80s, and exclusively so since the late 90s. A real tragedy that the GM arm from the USA decided to shut down our beloved independently designed Aussie car manufacturing here down under. It's like Ford USA closing to the local American on the street. It's tragic. Keep up the great work. Shout out to David Hall. What? 
<laughs> well, I didn't know all that, but uh, thank you, uh, Alex, for letting us know. Um, uh, we were talking about if we could race those cars on oval. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, it'd be a little weird because you're on the right side, you know. So, so t- 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 on the left turning, when you're in a when you're used to a left seater and putting out right on the line, you can that that can cause problems. I, I keep putting the Indy car on ovals on the on the uh, apron for the same reason. Yeah, it threw me off. I was running supercars at Pocono, and I kept running into the wall because I'm on the wrong side of the car. All right, guys. Um, there's been a a thread in the forum uh, talking about AI and uh, Jacob Grinstead. He threw in his two cents and asked, uh, "How about dirt and oval road cars with the AI?" And uh, Tyler Hudson from uh, the staff of I- at iRacing, he actually uh, he jumped into the forum and he said that uh, dirt AI is actually on the list. So, uh, but it it's, uh, requires a whole new model that has to be like built from scratch to really work properly because just because of how different dirt and asphalt uh, drive, you know, uh, he mentioned that, that dirt, you drive a lot more with your feet, you know, you steer a lot more with your feet than you do with the steering wheel. So uh, it's like a whole different model they had to do to make dirt AI cars, but uh, apparently they're working on it. And that's great. I mean, I kind of suck at dirt and, and it would be great to jump in with some AI to try to get better, you know, and uh, see if I can get my times up. Because uh, when you get in these practices, uh, these guys are either aliens or they can't drive at all. There's really no in between. And it's kind of hard to practice around other people. Uh, it was quite a challenge when the majors was there, but we did get to do practice races every night. In fact, they changed their format up a little for qualifying that week. And your qualifying was actually through running practice races. Because, you know, turning practice laps only tells you so much unless you're trying to test for specific things. When you're just trying to build track experience, uh, I've always found it better to run a few practice laps and then just go ahead and get a race in. You know, that's why I tend to run. When I run A open, I almost don't care about the results as much as being able to stay in the race and and just understand how the set's going to drive. Right. Yeah, I think uh, dirt AI would be really good, especially when you get to the cars that um, you have to tweak setups on. You know, uh, the 305s are fun. You can jump in them anytime because it's all always a, a fixed setup race. But um, if once you jump from the 305s to the 360s or the 410s, you know, you really have to start learning how to use your um, use change do changes on the car to make you faster otherwise you're if you use a baseline setup you're going to get blown away and um and ai ai races would be pretty good for learning how to do that while in traffic and there is a difference between how the how that dirt handles if you set it to 100 to start at 100 percent versus if it gets driven to 100 percent having through heat races and 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 such and let ls lcqs etc Back to the pavement side, we have a recap video. It's about two minutes long, and the majority of it was basically showing each winner of the race as well as the final victory, which, who was the champion, Sam? Sebastian Job. Sebastian Job, yeah, that's right. Um, So it showed him at the end. Uh, definitely nice and dramatic, and it's it's always really neat when you see something like this that compresses a year's worth of season down into two minutes. It 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 almost gives you this kind of surreal feeling. 
Oh yeah, I, I didn't really follow this series because I work on this day, and it, it's fun to watch this because I did miss some great racing. Um, we probably should have covered it a little bit better, but um, this video really shows us what we missed. It shows you all the great highlights uh, throughout the various events, and then who was winning, you know, as they went from week to week, and um, you know, you start seeing the same names as they pop up in the video, and sure enough, Sebastian Job is the one who uh, brought it home. I love that they use uh, uh, European announcers for that series, too. It gives it a, a, a sense of credibility for some reason. I don't know why, but it just seems more credible that way. Yeah, it does. So, Tony, how's your relationship at home? Mine is great. And there's a <laughs> very specific reason why. Uh, hopefully, uh, Natalie Decker will listen to this show and get a little insight. So, um, anyways... Uh, She's tweeting that uh, her and her boyfriend's relationship is absolute bliss, except when they fight over the eye racing. So there's only one, one way around that. You build two rigs. I mean, I had the same issues, and um, we're back in bliss. What can I say? You found the answer. Uh, Natalie needs to figure that out. Yeah, she put up on the twit twit, hey, I swear my boyfriend and I only fight over eye racing. Yeah, which I can, I, I fully understand. I've been in those shoes. Um, yeah, there, there is really only one solution to that, to that problem. Got to have two rigs. She needs one of them double-decker rigs. Oh. <laughs> Zing. Yeah, that, that, I'm dumbfounded on that one. Um, just speaking, I'm just going to move on to the next topic. Uh, manual blipping or auto blipping? We have a post from John... McCutcheson, and he's wondering whether people auto blip or manually blip. Uh, then we get a recommendation from staff David Tucker that you shouldn't really turn many of the aids off until you've gotten comfortable with the sim. Now, I would bet a lot of our listeners have been, you know, running for quite a quite a while. Uh, for me, I generally tend to manually blip just because um, I've had the I've been told you get a little bit better performance that way. If you can do it correctly every single time, which I can't. So I do auto blip myself. Um, it just makes it easy. I, I don't know. I, I, for a while, I did the manual blip thinking, hey, I want, you know, I want it realistic. I want it to, but then you go grinding gears and you don't have the right RPM to shift gear and, and everyone going by you because you can't get it in gear. Yeah, I'll turn the auto blip back on. Well, the only car that I've really had to to actually manually blip was the V8. When you downshift with it, you have to tap the throttle to get it to downshift, but you don't have to tap the throttle to get it to upshift. Um, I believe it was the Lotus. You had to you actually had to get on the clutch or or get off the gas to get it to upshift. Um, but that's not too bad if you have the manual uh, clutch. Because, or the handheld clutch, I mean, because I, I could just pull the clutch and the shifter at the same time. One thing I noticed was um, when I, I have three pedals, and so when I map my clutch pedal or calibrate it, it turns the auto blip off, and then I can go back and turn it back on. Um, but then I can still have a clutch, but... Um, it, I have it set where it doesn't, you know, kill the engine if you stall it and all that. 
Yeah, that's when I could I had to keep on because especially when I'm listening to a, either a podcast or music all the time, I can't tell if the engine's dead. So quite a long post, a lot of different people uh, putting in their two cents. Uh, it looks like people are doing it both ways. Uh, some people say it's faster to do it on manually, and then other pe- one guy said here I do it out of sheer laziness, the auto blit. <laughs> so that's me probably. So, uh, guys, uh, move over. Woodward and Bernstein. Uh, iRacing is, uh, has an article in the Washington Post this week, which is what? really cool. Yeah, the Washington Post. Uh, they, they put an article. Uh, it was written by Gregory Leparati. That's, uh, I hope I didn't butcher his name. But, uh, so he posted an article uh, talking about iRacing. Um, the, the, uh, he has the headline that iRacing has boosted NASCAR during the pandemic. Now esports may help shape racing's future. Uh, so the story is uh, pretty in depth. I read the whole thing. It was, uh, you know, started with uh, Chase Briscoe, who we all know now just moved up to uh, the Cup Series, and how he started uh, sim racing when he was uh, a kid with on his father's NASCAR Racing 2003 system, and how he uses uh, iRacing today. He, he's Briscoe says that you know it's a, a very valuable asset for him to have, especially on new tracks that he hasn't been to. Um, he talks to uh, uh, the NASCAR's uh, digital uh, digital VP guy, who uh, who talks a little bit of how how NASCAR and iRacing have teamed together. Uh, even Michael Conti's in this article has a couple of quotes, so it's a it's a really interesting article. But one of the things I wanted to mention about this article is it kind of rephrased the question, like um, during the pandemic when uh, iRacing was uh, was front and center when the NASCAR series was on pandemic lockdowns, you know, everybody was thinking how, what great things, um, I, you know, NASCAR did for iRacing, but this one kind of rephrases it to what iRacing is doing for NASCAR, you, you know, what kind of interest NASCAR is receiving through iRacing. So I thought that was an interesting way that they, uh, approached the topic and, you know, it kind of really emphasizes how important iRacing and you know esports in general, I guess, has been to uh, to NASCAR. Yeah, I, one quote here I liked at the end. It said, uh, "Chase Briscoe would like to see an eNASCAR uh, create a mo- more clearly defined pipeline from sim to real life racing." He said, "Maybe the champion of eNASCAR could get a sponsorship from." Alienware or some other tech company and get the chance to drive in an ARCA car or ARCA race uh, one time. That would be pretty cool. Uh, You know, and another neat quote uh, was a Mike Conti uh, talking about how the sport has grown. He said, when I first started, I was making $5 a race on a sponsorship deal, Conti added. We would average maybe 100 or 200 people watching us. And now more than 10,000 people are watching this year which is a massive uh, compared to where it started. Yeah, and uh, Steve Myers is also uh, from iRacing is in the story, and um, he was uh, he's he was saying when they first started these uh, races on TV that we started in March, and there were some reservations, like people in the industry were saying, "What are we really playing video games now?" But like it only took a few weeks before everyone realized that this isn't only wait wait great way to connect with fans, but a great way to make new fans, and I think that's a uh, that's uh, one of the great things about iRacing is they're creating, uh, you know, a next generation of NASCAR fans, not not necessarily always through the actual uh, series itself. 
Yeah, he said 2 million TV viewers tuned into the series that had not previously watched a NASCAR race that season. Um, and so those were new eyeballs on NASCAR, and it was because they were running iRacing, not their regular races. And um, it brought those extra eyeballs in. Yeah, so it was a good, good, um, really good article if anybody wants to look at it in the Washington Post. So yeah, take take a chance to take a look at it. Okay. Next up, a, a hot fix number one uh, for season four patch four, and it came out this morning. It was pretty small. It installed quickly. Um, here's what it is. It's mostly racing uh, UI or beta UI, I'll call it. But uh, they added a new tab to the account window connection where you can uh, set up your connection uh, within the beta UI now. And uh, iRacing dollars are finally back where you can uh, gift uh, uh, iRacing dollars to other members or whatnot. Uh, there's a new button in the store for that, um, those iRacing dollars. What else they got? Uh, price list has been updated. Um, not going to get into the details of that. They've updated the search box a little bit. Current se series and up next has been reformatted. Um, track maps, they continue to add those. They fixed some issue with the loading screen. And um, they also added the stuff into the actual website for the iRacing dollars. So they fixed the SIM as far as race control. It says the code that computes the pit exit delay at the start of the race has been updated to allow for a variety of new cases, including the Crandon Raceway land rush. So I guess that's a fix for that land rush start. That's good. I know a lot of people have been waiting for that. That's cool. Um, they gave some updates to the ARCA damage model. Looks like and if you... If you run the uh, wild horse track, they add a, a jersey barrier to prevent cutting the tabletop jump so that you can't cut that jump anymore. Uh -huh. Okay, nice little release. Let's get into housekeeping notes. Uh, don't really have anything besides check our show notes, guys. Everything we talk about is in writing, and you guys can follow along by clicking the links in our show notes. It's a PDF in the description of this podcast. There's a link. You want to send us stories or get involved and give a, tell us what we're doing wrong, like the guy from Australia when he uh, schooled us on supercars, send us an email, iRacersLounge at gmail.com. We love to be told that we're wrong, and we'll fix it. We'll correct it. We want to give out good information to our listeners. And this is a community, guys, and it's a community effort. We want everyone to be involved. We're happy to have you guys uh, send us stuff, so please do. And with that, we'll jump over to Fantasy, Tony. Podcast Fantasy League. In a casual setting. Well, I won't make this chat as long as it took to get the darn race in. Holy cow. Not days sure. and days. I know I've not seen something like that in the time that I've followed NASCAR. That was insane. Um, and then the... The rest of the race, I don't know. I, I kind of was just like, meh, it was it was all right. But maybe I was just burnt out from waiting all week for it to actually get in. Um, yeah, I, I completely missed it, to tell you the truth. I was working. I didn't even know they were running. Yeah, well, thankfully, like I was, I, I missed uh, the first bunch of laps. I missed when uh, um, 
Kenseth and and Bubba got into each other, but I I was able to uh, click it on just shortly thereafter. But um, you know, fantasy wise, oh boy, that is terrible. That is absolutely terrible. But um, I think that kind of happened to to the majority of us. Um, although I did notice one uh, very interesting thing as I was uh, following along. Uh, throughout the race that uh, now that the the playoffs have started, I don't know. This is the first time I've noticed it, but um, it's only actually calculating uh, the active uh, people. So I think we're, we've got 16 or 17 that are, that are still active, which um, is pretty darn good. I mean, we had, we had over 32 sign up at the beginning of the year and we still have over half of those guys uh, hanging in there till till the very end. Um, so I plan on doing this again next year, and hopefully we can we can get even more people to to join in. But uh, yeah, what do we, just a couple races left? Um, it's it's down to the crunch, and I'm still I'm I'm still in the lead by by about a hundred points. Um, second place, Resdog. He's he's trying. He's he's doing what he can to get up there. Um, I don't know. Time's ticking away. I, I'm not going to say it's in the bag, but um, I'm pretty confident that I can hold these guys off for the next two races. But I'll be very happy to see uh, somebody take that over because that'd be, that'd be some great picks and some terrible picks on my part. Uh, G.I. JoJo's in third place. Smiling Ninja's in fourth. Carrie Seal is in fifth. Justin Times, sixth. Laird Racing is in seventh. Jedi McFly is still in eighth. Romance Girls in ninth, and Team 207 rounds out our top 10. And I wanted to give a special shout-out to my Aftermath buddy, uh, Mr. Rochette. Um, he was down very, very far not all that long ago, and he's got himself up into the 12th position. And, and he missed out on most of the season because um, he was uh, falling along in an old league that we had that nobody's a part of anymore. And when he got the memo, uh, he he had one heck of a hill to climb, but he's he's made his way up there. I mean, that's a valiant, valiant effort. 12th place. So um, on to Martinsville this week. Uh, better be a good one. We don't need a, a four-day uh, race this time around. Let's just get her done one day. Have a lot of fun. Some door banging. Uh, can't wait. Yeah, and Phoenix, and I'm one. I I think I'm off that day, so I don't know if I'm going to go out there or not. Maybe if uh, we'll see if somebody. Uh, usually, I get a free ticket from one of my friends, so I'm kind of waiting for that. Oh, that'd be that'd be a that's awesome. I keep forgetting that Phoenix uh, is is finishing off the season right in your backyard. Um, man, that that'd be a heck of an experience. You know, I've never seen a championship race. Uh, at least on the cup level, play out, you know, on the final race. Now, I have been at Phoenix when the Xfinity and the Truck Series uh, wraps up at Phoenix um, a week early. I've been there for those moments, and they've been pretty cool. Um, and so, it's you know, I'm thinking I shouldn't miss it. So I'll probably go. We'll see. Well, that'd be good. Post up some uh, trackside pictures and, uh, you know, all the hoopla that they have uh surrounding the, the last race of the year should be fun all right well let's jump into hardware software will this computer run iRacing 
not now. And Brian, you got the first one. It's a Halloween special. Yeah, guys, uh, if anyone out there is interested in the Huskinveld uh, products, then Huskinveld, um, yeah, that's what I said. Um, yeah, Huskinveld. If anyone's interested in any of those products, Sim Motion is running a Halloween special on any of the Huskinveld products um, that starts now through November 1st. You can get 5% off of your order. Uh, just use the promo code 5, that's the letters, F-I-V-E, to get 5% off your sprint or ultimate pedals as well as the sequential shifter. So uh, so you got until uh, Monday to, to get that promotion if, you want, if you're interested in those pedals or shifter. So that's that company, sim-motion.com, that Darren Ganji is involved with. And uh, they're... Uh, U.S. distributors of this Heiskenfelds. So, have we talked about these new AMD cards that are in the next topic? No, they just came out this week, so this is uh-huh. uh, first time. Well, that's I guess that's the might be part of why the hype's not out yet. I don't know. Uh, we have a forum member that's complaining about the hype not being out about the new ADM uh, AMD Radeon six thousand GPU. Um, it, he says it's not getting quite as much coverage i guess is the nvidia uh 3000 series launch and other than that i don't know that much quite yet about it i guess so these cards are pretty freaking awesome uh when you compare them to the nvidia ones uh from what i've seen here and uh they seem to be just a little bit better too if you do a if you do a comparison between the 3000 series like the uh uh 6900 XT which is the top line one is uh is $1000 compared to the RTX 3090 which is uh $1500. Now I haven't seen any direct uh comparisons as far as performance goes but you know that's a $500 difference on their top cards. I I saw I thought we had a screenshot of the comparisons but I did see um I don't know where it is, but I did see one, and these cards are actually better than the, just a little bit better than the RTX counterparts. Now, the middle one, the 6800 XT, $650, and if that would compare to the RTX 3080, which is $700, but it's a little cheaper, and it's actually a little bit better performance. Um, and then the cheaper one, the 6800 is $580, uh, the AMD card. And that compares to the RTX 3070, which is at $500. And from what I did read about those cards, the 6000 series compared to the 3500 series NVIDIA is um, actually a better, uh, uh, quite a bit better card than the, the uh, 3070 series. Yeah. So, I mean, this just happened. And so the, the data is trickling out, guys. And, uh, you know, I don't know a lot about it. I haven't really dug into the videos. Uh, all the main video uh, card guru guys have done their reviews i just haven't gotten into them uh we speaking of nvidia 3070s we do have a review uh from the release day tony don't we oh yes we do yes we do and uh philip morton posted a video of the uh sorry video review of the new nvidia 3070 and well, I guess we can just sum it up in one <laughs> one sentence. Now, I didn't uh, I didn't watch this video uh, just to put that one out there, but uh, his conclusion is that it's basically a five hundred dollar equivalent in every way, including RTX performance to the twenty eighty Ti. Um, 
Now, without seeing this video, and I'm sure he goes into explaining why, but it seems to be a pretty bold statement. Um, 2080 Ti is a... Oh, I sorry. Mean, no, <laughs> that's the last... That was a good card, you know, this summer before all the new ones came out. That was like the best card to get, right? Sorry, I I totally read this wrong. Like, I read it and said it, 2080, but I was thinking the 3080 Ti. I'm like, well, that just wouldn't make any sense. But um, no, actually, I've... I've read other things too saying that yes they are very uh very very close um almost al almost identical um so yeah i guess i can uh with what i've read of the uh, those cards and comparisons and stuff that yeah they're they are basically the same how much were the 2080 ti's they were pretty damn expensive this summer exactly for, yes for like 1200 1500 if you could find them so a $500 equivalent to that is actually uh, not a bad deal. Right. No, that's, yeah, that's a smoking deal. Um, there are some good options for cards between AMD and NVIDIA now. Um, I mean, take your pick. I mean, I, I would be looking at these AMD ones based on those graphs I saw earlier. And the price is cheaper, too, than the NVIDIA ones. You know, 1000 versus 1500 so more to come. We're, I'm sure we'll be talking this, about these cards for weeks to come as we get more details. Uh, but everything is very new. You know, we just got the AMDs released. Uh, NVIDIA announced their 3070 this week as well. And so uh, lots of more to come. Okay, so we'll keep moving. Then we'll go into PitLogic app. Uh, we'll let you easily print out any of your digital information from your mobile device, like setup sheets, tire list, and more. And so uh, <clears throat> they have a Facebook post here uh, where they talked about their product. They do have a Facebook page called Pit Logic, all one word. And it says, staying organized is an important key to success for any race team. We have many, many digital tools to offer for data organization and storage. But if you prefer paper copies, there's no need to worry. With Pit Logic, you can also print any of this digital info. Setup sheets, tire lists, checklists for your mobile device is done with just a couple of clicks. They have a video tutorial. So this is like, a, you know, setup sheets that crew chiefs will use, you know, with a clipboard when they're in practice. Yeah, that's correct. I um I downloaded that app and took a look at it. Um, it actually is a subscription uh, service, I think. Um, but it's free for like the first two weeks or something like that. Don't quote me on that. But you do get a short uh, free introductionary uh, introduction period that we can uh, go through things. Uh, but it, it was pretty interesting. I did like that. I like the, that you could print those sheets right off. And, um, you know, even if you decide not to use a service, you can always go off those sheets, make copies of it if you have a blank one. So, um, yeah, that, that, other than that, I thought it was pretty cool. They call it complete race team management software. Yeah, some of those features would probably be more useful for an actual race team than something online. Right, and this might be geared for the actual race team. I don't know, but uh, yeah, we found it. So, guys, we've been uh, following uh, this story for a little while. It's a uh, Proto SimTech, and uh, they make the uh, P2 pedals. Um, and if you remember, that company is going out of business, and uh, they were making. They just made an announcement that. Um, 
their batch nine, which is their second to last batch they're ever going to make for the P2 pedals or anything, I guess. But uh, the last, uh, the next to last batch is released yesterday on October 28th. So, uh, so if you're interested in those P2 pedals, um, you want to get those soon because you're not going to be able to get them anymore after this this batch and the following one coming up soon. So uh, I think it's uh, 46 sets of the, each of these two batches. So that's all that's going to be left if you if you guys are interested in, in those P2 pedals. Uh, he's announced retirement before and extended it. So you never know with this guy. But uh, a lot of people buy his pedals, man. He sells out real quick I mean, uh, as soon as they go for sale. So this started yesterday. I haven't looked to see if they're sold out yet. Proto Sim Tech. All right. How about the Modem Sim chassis, David? This thing is pretty. It's the it best is. way to describe it. Um, it's it's a uh, two kind of curved archy frame but it looks really cleverly designed in in that um so it looks a lot more sturdy than some of the other tube frames tubular it's arches of, it's tubular arches as well as kind of a triangular connection design within it which makes it even more a look even more stable and it it, it can also i'm not sure if this one is actually motion or not it looks like it can be upgradable to motion um, it's got adjustable pedal box, adjustable steering box. Um, looks definitely very sturdy. It comes with a 12-year warranty, and they'll help you set it up. That that's a nice little feature. Try using the the schematics for a, the SimLabs product. Okay, but if you look at their website, which is modemsimulation.com, yikes! It's thirteen thousand dollars. Australia dollars, thirteen thousand, and I don't think that's motion, guys. That's about nine thousand no, US. So that's this a stationary rig, and, that, and it is compatible with motion. It says, but that's an cost. Oh my! I mean, it is pretty, like you said. So it's got a nice uh, art artsy look to it. Uh, but I mean, really, is it? I mean, Tony, tell me, is this too much money? Probably. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll, I'll second that. Yeah, that's a bit much. Well, I was, I was fishing around for a bunch of words, but none of them I can really say here. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, what, where does the, how do you justify that cost? I just don't see it. I mean, the materials alone can't be more than $1,000. And, yeah, and no. Got to paint it. They got to bend the, you know, the the tubes that do a certain angle. Like I said, they're arc, arches or arc, arcs, I guess, or half circles. All right, let's do one more quick one before we get into results. Tony, the APX simulators. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's another site, and I was trying to figure out where these guys are out of. And if the, the, the pricing that I'm seeing is um, what denomination, like if it's Canadian, if it's uh, American. Anyways, it's, uh, it looks like they, it's um, another Simrig site. Uh, California. They, they, okay, so it's all American. Now, these guys deal with the 8020 profiles. Um, and like on the complete opposite spectrum from what I'm seeing, these prices are insanely good. Um, 
Yeah, I agree. Starting I out. Mean, wow. Uh, yeah. So just like your 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 plain Jane eighty twenty simulator. Now this isn't going to come with a seat or anything like that, obviously. But um, you, know, you got a spot for your uh, for your pedals and uh, your wheel, and for somewhere to mount your seat. It's it's nothing special. Like I said, it's plain Jane, but still two hundred fifty bucks um, for eighty twenty. Yeah, for eighty twenty, and that, that that you know that gets you started, right? Which uh, to me just seems like that's a that's a pretty darn good deal um, to get started. Now, this is kind of looks like what they do is um, you know you you build what you want, and so as you add things, obviously the price goes up. Um, you know they deal in static as well as uh, motion rigs, and and nothing- wow. Yeah, it's very impressive that that two hundred and fifty dollar version. They have some other rigs though that are kind of like a, maybe a tubular style, uh, a little bit different take at four hundred, and then a beefier one at five eighty, and then they have this best one. It says fifty five hundred dollars, and this is one with motion, and it's a tubular style with the four D box corner uh, situation. Yeah, so uh, it looks like that uh, that 250 model looks like to be their only one that's uh, 80-20 profile. I think everything else is uh, prefabricated tube styles. Right. So the other one here that kind of grabbed my attention, because I haven't seen this yet. Maybe I just wasn't looking hard enough. Actually, I was not looking at all for this kind of thing. But they have, um, I'm just going to call them a sim sock. Uh, it... <laughs> Yeah, kind of looks like a little bit of a boot. Uh, it's got some of the. It looks to have like the the grippy deal on the on the bottom of the feet. Um, you know, like those slipper socks, that kind of idea. Um, Look perfect. Yeah, it's just it's it's kind of neat. Um, I'm the kind of guy I drive either if um, you know I use socks most of the time. I just I'm barefoot. I pre- that's I, I prefer it that way. But um, yeah, I could I could probably go for something like that apxsim.com so uh, new players at least to us on the market here I love those socks with the grippy things on the bottom and then they have an 80-20 rig for 250 bucks out of California yeah these guys are definitely worth a look they have actual D-Box on that $5,500 motion rig it looks like Hey, uh, Mike, before we get into our uh, results, I want can I just uh, add that there's actually been an update to the Proto SimTech, those P2 uh, pedals. The Batch 9 is going to be their last batch. I just saw that there's an update on their website. So they're not actually going to do a Batch 10. So, uh, so Changes really, his you, mind again. Yeah, so according to his website, this is the last batch, Batch number 9. And so you really want to get it in quick if that's what you want to get. Yep. Yeah, I've heard good things about those pedals. So, I think they're four fifty, five fifty. I don't remember. Four seventy nine. Yeah, somewhere in there. All right. Well, let's jump into results then. Let's talk the NIS Texas. Let's finish that up. Friday Open, I ran. I got a P thirteen. I got involved in a few wrecks. I was just slow enough to not be competitive, and that's always the biggest bummer. When you're just, yeah, I got to just limp it home so I don't kill my I rating. But I did have an extra set of tires at the end uh, and and there was no late cautions to take advantage of them. And that was my theme the whole week at Texas. I was, 
I'd save tires early. I'd have a set at the end in case there was a late caution and there never was um, any of the three nights I raced. Uh, Tom Dryling ran, he got a P16. He said he didn't have any speed all race. It must be how I drive the new Texas. He said, I'll learn onto the paperclip. Tony Rochette wrecked out early. No other details. Uh, Greg uh, had a VR issue. So Greg recently uh, reinstalled Windows. Um, I'm not sure what went wrong with his VR. I think it just stopped or something in the middle of the race and he just pulled over and quit. All right, so Sunday open. David, a self-inflicted wrecked out. Yeah, I've been pretty, I've been struggling since the latest tire update came out with mile and a half. And uh, I can run for 10 laps and then everybody else is just taken away, taken away. Uh, so something that I'm doing is just killing the right front, even though I've, I tried to save tires and I just got frustrated and got her sideways and put myself in the inside wall um, and then parked it and went on to run a six hour race in, in Endurance Le Mans. And uh, also Tony, had, he just said p Rex, same song. Same song, different day. Well, that's how Texas went for us, but let's move on to Martinsville. Uh, much better, maybe. Uh, Wednesday open, uh, David, you got DQ'd, Dan. Hashtag rant time. Man, we had a driver in here who would just run over everybody. He started off, he was unapologetic about it too. He started off dive bombing me for like 21st on lap five and he dove bomb so hard he couldn't stick it. So he comes up and sideswipes me. Um, and, he's, and he literally says, well, either make a move or get moved, you know, because there was, there were two wide stacking, stacking up in front of us. So I was just taking it easy. Um, and this guy literally had four or five different guys cussing at him before the race was over. Um, I told him he wasn't going to finish the race and it, the prophecy came true because he ticked another guy off and the other guy wrecked him on purpose. Um, so anyway, that caused quite a few problems for me. Um, Later, I had uh, a guy who got loose, and so I got just on his inside, and then he, he crowded me all the way down to the curb, and I was still trying to stay off of him, but my, my left tire hits the curb because he squeezed me so far, and he thanked me for giving him room, sarcastically. What a hypocrite. You know, if you, if you squeeze somebody, don't tell them they're not giving you enough room. I can't drive onto the grass. All right, where are you going to go, right? Yeah, and you know... I also had somebody rear-end me in into another guy. He did. He apologized for it. So you know, you know, people make mistakes, and generally, you know, I make mistakes, and I try to own up to them. I owned up to my screw up at Talladega. I just my pet peeve is when somebody screws up and and won't own up to it. So there it is. But yeah, I was just caught up in too much crap and, and ended up getting. A, of, of my last X on the quagmire on the white flag lap. Crazy, okay. And um, I ended up running P4, which I'm very happy with. I was up to 16X there for the longest time. And you get the drive through penalty at 17. But I never got that 17th, it just worked out. The last 4X I got, I actually got completely ran over by our good friend Marcelo. Like we restart, we it was just like you said, you go into the corner there, everyone's stacked up double wide in front of you. There's nowhere to go. And he doesn't even break for the corner. He just completely just plows in and just takes me out from behind. And 
uh, didn't even try to break for the corner. It was horrible. But somehow, some way, I recovered. Uh, damage doesn't hurt you at this track. Um, it, it, you know, as long as your wheel is straight and you got your RPMs, um, you're going to have a good run. 26 I, cautions in this race. Yeah, we had over 125 laps of caution in ours. A 250 and, lap race. Yeah, and I did forget to mention the, the car was really fast. It was nice to actually have to use the brake at an oval again. You know, the set is awesome. I, 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 gotta, I said that at the beginning. This week, we are just, I mean, the thing just turns so well. And I, do, I don't feel like I even have to try hard to get to, to race other people because the car is that fast. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of just, like you said, being cautious instead of running over people. Um, it, and, and it rolls the center so well that you, you don't get that loose off snappy feeling. Yep. Uh, Tony Rochette, he ran with us. He got a P5. Great run for him. He said, hey, not wrecked, but was rear-ended about four times. This race was atrocious. 29 cautions for 144 laps. He says, I'm one and done this week. The set was great. Would have been better if we had more than 10 to 20 lap runs. And then I ran today uh, with Tom Dryling. Uh, Tom got DQ'd out. Um, he was in top split with like man every heavy hitter you can think of boyd hogan was in there and um <clears throat> garrett uh garrett and all those guys i mean all those guys that are going for pro and her pro and and so he was running like 12th then 10th and then 9th and then but he kept getting involved in incidents and he ran out of x before the race ended so he got dq'd out so but he said it was a great set and he was really happy with the speed. At one point, Tom said he was only a tenth off of uh, Garrett Mains at race pace. Um, and he said that was pretty darn good. And then I ran and I got P17. Now I ran better than that result. Uh, there were 28 cautions in my race. Uh, had a great car, but was just caught up in different crap. Um, I actually had to do a drive-through penalty uh, when I went over 17X with 20 to go. And that really kind of put me back. Uh, I was running fifth, I think, when that happened, so. Got a couple of good news stories in our official series adventures. Over in the IMSA series, Greg has been uh, taking his road course talents into the sports cars now. Uh, and he took a P1 at Laguna Seca in a schoolyard setup. Then we also have Tom and I was in this race with Tom, even though we were running different classes. He had one win in a few top fives. He got his first win in the LMP2 car and it also his first win at Laguna Seca. And that puts his record of 24 different cars and 28 different tracks with wins. Tom is a talent. I tell you what, um, I was I was bragging on him today, you know, in top split. I'm like, look, now's your chance to see how you stack up against the big boys. and. And uh, I think he felt like he was stacking up. So uh, I expect him to keep uh, doing really well. Uh, uh, what an amazing stat, 24 different cars he's won in. I don't think I've done that. Uh, my official, uh, I ran the sprint car. I was 11 out of 16 after starting dead last. I uh, got most of those spots actually in the first lap. I got up to about ninth, but faded to 11th. There was a late caution and I was super squirrely on the restart, but somehow held on. 
Uh, that was pretty fun. That was at uh, North Wilkesboro, I believe it was. And then NASCAR Legends, I was uh, seventh out of 16 at Bristol. It was caution free at Bristol. Can you believe it? I actually burned off the tires and was four seconds slower at the end, but limped at home. So there were people that had to pit with like 10 to go, five to go because the tires blew. And I was, I was, I was probably really close to blowing the tire. I was so slow. But uh, the people that saved tires early, man, they ended up uh, up front for sure. I just don't know how to do it. I, I, you know, I'm not good at these legend races that are go caution free. Okay, and with that, let's talk uh, league and hosted. Tom Dryling uh, ran Sim Auto Racing League P9. Said ran decent, got involved in a crash at halfway, damaged the right front. We are learning. And uh, that was what he was doing with Adam, right? Uh, the SARA? Yeah, Adam had a good run, but I don't remember what his finish was. I think it was fifth. But yeah, those guys are rocking on the super late. And with that, let's jump to final thoughts. Brian McCubbin. Okay, uh, so um, this week, or uh, a couple of days ago, um, HP posted on Reddit that the G2 uh, headsets are getting ready to ship. So... Hopefully it won't be too much longer before I get my new headset and I get back into the sim. Uh, I'm still in the process of building, rebuilding everything on my rig as far as the motion stuff goes. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit OCD when it comes to wires and hiding them and, and uh, keeping them very well managed. And this system is really putting that to the test because there are wires everywhere. So uh, I've been just dreading how I'm going to hide all these wires and, and get them all nice and neat but i'll do my best on that i'll send you pictures on on how it goes i've got a picture that could probably send you into a panic attack <laughs> spaghetti now i say get it up and running don't worry about the wires worry about the wires later after everything's up and running then rewire it probably a good idea okay david hall final thoughts uh continue to stream at mixmage that's with one m Actually, there's two M's in there, but they're kind of separated. One X. Um, enjoying the racing. Frustrated with with the big ovals. I don't know what's changed, but I've always historically been a long run guy, and now I can't I can't figure out the long run. So it felt great at Martinsville to be to be competitive competitive again. That's about all I have today. If it was easy, nobody would do it. Okay, and then Tony Groves had to bail early, so uh, no final thoughts for him. Thanks to Evan Pasoka for coming on. Uh, my final thoughts is, man, I'm so happy to run good at Martinsville P4. I was probably in position to fight for the win today if I had some better luck and not get involved in some incidents that weren't really my doing. Um, and so looking forward to tomorrow night, Friday, when we can take another shot at it and just go for a win, you know, at, at a track like Martinsville. Um, man, I'm excited that, that I'm running good. And I, I think it really has to do with the setups that, um, you know, Mike Morley and his team over at the schoolyard setups have been, uh, you know, they're getting us a base. I don't know if Greg and David, you guys are changing it, but man, it's dialed in this week and uh, man, we're fast. So that sure is fun. And so with that, we'll see you on the track later. Thank you for listening to the Odd Racers Lounge podcast. 
Make sure you go subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.